welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 106, Excellent in Working. Hello, I am so glad you're here. These are some heavy chapters this week. There is a lot of beauty and peace and safety, promises of safety and hope, but there is a lot of doom and gloom and destruction. In part, I think that is something that a lot of people don't like because it feels up feelings of shame or guilt, wondering if they're doing good enough. And it also stirs up feelings worrying about people that you love who maybe aren't making choices that you that you know that the Lord wouldn't be okay with. As you're reading those, it can be easy to forget that the Lord warns his people because he loves them. He warns us because he loves us. And he knew that there had to be opposition in all things. There had to be good and evil, good and bad, happiness and misery. He knew that there had to be that opposition because without that opposition, there would be no agency. There would be nothing to choose from. So when the Lord warns us, warns his people, it's because if he didn't warn us, that would be pretty merciless. That would be cruel. Nephi teaches us that Satan is trying to carefully lead us to destruction. And in these chapters, in all of scripture, it is clear that our father in heaven is carefully cultivating the salvation of the house of Israel. He's doing the opposite of what Satan is doing. Anyone who chooses him is capable of achieving the salvation that he promises. One of the ways that heavenly father and our savior show us that they love us and that they're rooting for us and that they want us to succeed is because they know and understand our limitations. They know that we cannot do it all at once. They know we need it in pieces and that we need to progress gradually, that we need the opportunity to be able to make mistakes and still be able to get back on track. In Isaiah chapter 28, starting in verse 10, it says, For precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. And there he's speaking about the Holy Ghost. He knows that he can't pour it all on us all at once and expect that we're going to succeed. In Doctrine and Covenants chapter 19, it says, starting in verse 21 through 22. And I command you that you preach not but repentance and shew not these things unto the world until it be wisdom in me. For they cannot bear meat now, but milk they must receive. Wherefore, they must not know these things lest they perish. So yet another testament of the Lord's wisdom that he knows what he's doing. He knows that we cannot take it all in at once. Part of taking what the Lord gives us in is being able to implement that in our lives. If we were given everything at once, we would be pretty terrible at implementing it. And we're pretty, some of us are pretty terrible at implementing it in the first place. Elder Michael Dunn said this about the process of improvement. He says, this process is not always accomplished in a linear fashion. Even among the most determined, there may be setbacks. Having experienced the frustration of this in my own life, I know that it can sometimes feel like 1% forward and 2% back. Yet, if we remain undaunted in our determination to consistently eke out those 1% gains, he who has carried our sorrows will surely carry us. 
Something Isaiah makes clear to us is that trajectory toward the Savior through the use of the atonement is required. Isaiah teaches all throughout the book of Isaiah repentance. Isaiah is teaching us that perfection isn't required, but our effort and continual repentance matters. However, sometimes I think we get stuck on on the mercy part of the plan and forget that justice is on the other side, that the Lord is merciful. The Lord has created a plan for us, but if we're not using it, we won't qualify for that mercy. I think sometimes we want to ignore the fact that eventually there will be judgment. And I think a lot of that not just comes from wanting that mercy for ourselves, even if we didn't earn it, but we want it for other people too. We don't want to see anybody be lost. We don't want to see anybody suffer eternal judgment. We don't want to believe, like Samuel the Lamanite taught, that there will be a time where it will be everlastingly too late. I think we feel uncomfortable as we read some of these chapters that Isaiah speaks of the consequences that await for people who choose not to repent, who choose not to go to the Lord. There's a part of us that wants that not to actually be true, that there will always be time. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 8, it says, In measure, when it shooteth forth, meaning the the vineyard, the Lord's vineyard, thou wilt debate with it. He stayeth his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Okay, I know that's a little bit of gibberish, but the Lord often compares the house of Israel, us, to the vineyard and how he cares for it. And here he's speaking of that vineyard plant growing up out of the ground. And when he says, thou wilt debate with it, that means to prune it or discipline it. Then it says that God stayeth, meaning he keeps it from coming, the rough wind, and instead sends the terrible east wind. The east wind serves a purpose. It's still really rough and it causes a lot of damage to the plant. We are seeing that right now. If you think about this and apply it to the house of Israel, we are seeing a lot of damage, a lot of pruning happening to the house of Israel right now. But he's not sending the rough wind, as Isaiah points out here, that would completely destroy the plant. That east wind serves a purpose. In order to create a healthy, thriving plant that brings the harvest that is his entire purpose, that east wind needs to happen. And it says that he stayeth his rough wind, meaning that eventually that will come. And when it comes, that plant will have been strengthened by that east wind. So that when the rough wind comes, the plant, meaning Israel, survives. But all of the weak branches, all of the wilted branches, will be gone. See, and even as I talk about that, I just don't like it. Like it, it just makes me feel so, so sad. But it all comes back to trusting that the Lord has given everyone and will continue to give everyone the opportunity to draw near to him, to accept the gospel. That's why we do temple work. But whether we like it or not, there are going to be some, many, that will choose not to accept it. And because of that, there will unfortunately be consequence. It says in verse 9, the next verse, that by this therefore shall the iniquity of Jacob, meaning the house of Israel, be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin. This east wind Isaiah speaks of 
is a way of purging the house of Israel. And verse 9 is telling us that this is the way that iniquity shall be removed from Israel, through sin, through the consequences of sin. Why does the Lord do this? He answers this question in a couple verses later in verse 11. It says, When the boughs thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The women come and set them on fire, for it is a people of no understanding. When he says a people of no understanding, do you think it means that they quite literally are not capable of being able to ever understand? We know that the Lord often describes people who won't hear the gospel as people who don't have eyes to see, nor ears to hear, nor hearts to feel. They don't want to understand. They have something in their way, whether it be pride or desire to sin or lack of faith or trials that that made them, instead of drawing closer to the Lord, go farther away from the Lord. There's an infinite number of, of situations, personal situations that I could continue to go on to. And there's lots of reasons why people get to this point, and lots of them are really hard reasons. The hard situations and the hard stories don't mean that accountability then doesn't exist, nor that judgment will be forever delayed because hard things happened. So the question that keeps coming back to my head as I read these chapters, talking about very real people who will be killed at the second coming of Jesus Christ, where is the mercy in that? Where is the love? Where is the kindness? In chapter 8, starting in verse 23, it says, Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman, representing the Lord, plow all day to sow, meaning get ready to plant. Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? Which means, does the Lord just continue to do this with no end in sight? Or does he have a plan that has to be executed? Just like a farmer has a plan for how he will have a successful harvest at the end of it all. When he hath made plain the face thereof, meaning he's made it flat and ready to plant, doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? Which means, doesn't he, the farmer and God, Make a plan, and then carefully execute that plan? For his God doth instruct him to discretion, and doth teach him. For the fitches, which is like little peppery seeds, for the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about on the cumin, meaning that the Lord, or the plowman, doesn't use an instrument that would beat and destroy the fitches, but the fitches are beaten out with a staff and the cumin with a rod. This means that the appropriate instrument is used to harvest them. Bread corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with a wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen, meaning that the bread corn is ground into flour so that it can be harvested in a way that it's useful, and it wouldn't be effective to beat the corn with a staff or a rod like the fitch or the cumin. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, meaning that this is how the Lord works as well, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. Okay, so when a farmer plants a field, he has a plan for how to harvest each different kind of seed that comes. We are all born in different situations, with different personalities, with different histories in the pre-existence. 
Heavenly Father knows how to harvest us, and He will use different instruments. He will refine us in different ways because He knows what we need in order to be harvested so that we can become productive, so that we can become what we were meant to become. Something that I've been working on within myself lately is trusting that the Lord knows what He's doing as He puts trials in my pathway and in the pathway of people I love. He knows the perfect procedure that needs to be done for my personality type in my situation. And he knows the perfect way to harvest those you love, to gather them, to give them their best chance of returning to him. And because he is the master plowman, because he created me and them, this plan, the world, he knows what will be best to refine each and every one of us. And this can be hard to watch because we each have our own agency and we can choose to be refined by our trials and draw closer to the Lord. We can choose to be refined by our mistakes or we can choose the opposite. We can allow them to push us farther from the Lord. I have a testimony that the Lord knows what he's doing. He is the master plowman. Yes, as you read these chapters this week, judgment and consequence are real, but they come from a loving God who knows that there must be opposition in all things, who knows that in order for us to have joy in righteousness, we also need to have the agency to choose the opposite, who knows that the trials, including the ones that we create ourselves through sin, ultimately can serve the purpose of helping us fulfill our potential if we choose. I can't and you can't control the agency of anyone else. I can only control mine and you can only control yours. So what can we do to help him in this plan to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, which is a summary of the whole and complete plan? First, I need to make sure that my path, my trajectory is pointed in the right direction. And then I need to treat the people around me with the kind of love that will put me in the best position to help the master plowman, our savior, and his plan to retain and rescue. I want to end by reading you the lyrics, Dear to the Heart of the Shepherd. And what I want you to think about as I read it is that all of these chapters that are so doom and gloom and can feel so heavy and depressing, honestly, try to think of those calls as calls of love trying to get his people to repent, trying to get his people to return to him. It is love to explain the consequence of an action. As he reaches out to us through the prophets, through the scriptures, asking us, pleading with us to repent, it is a call of love. He is trying to gather us. Dear to the heart of the shepherd, dear are the sheep of his fold. Dear is the love that he gives them, dearer than silver and gold. Dear to the heart of the shepherd, dear are his other lost sheep. Over the mountains he follows, over the waters so deep. Dear to the heart of the shepherd, dear are the lambs of his fold. Some from the pasture are straying, hungry and helpless and cold. See, the good shepherd is seeking, seeking the lambs that are lost, bringing them in with rejoicing, saved at such infinite cost. Dear to the heart of the shepherd, dear are the ninety and nine, 
Dear are the sheep that have wandered out in the desert to pine. Hark, he is earnestly calling, tenderly pleading today. Will you not seek for my lost ones, off from my shelter astray? Green are the pastures inviting, sweet are the waters and still. Lord, we will answer thee gladly. Yes, blessed Master, we will. Make us thy true under-shepherds. Give us a love that is deep. Send us out into the desert, seeking thy wandering sheep. The Lord warns us because he loves us. And to those of us who are still with him, who are staying close to him, his primary call to us is to help those who are straying. And that's going to look differently depending on the situation and depending on what is appropriate for your relationship with that person. But I can promise you that the number one most important thing that you can do to gather his sheep is to love them. And as you love them and stay close to the Spirit, the Lord will let you know what you need to do to help him. And maybe the person you're thinking of isn't someone else. Maybe it's yourself. If you feel yourself faltering in this life that is really, really hard, trust that the Lord has a plan for your gathering that's far better than any you could come up with on your own. Completely rely on Him. Let go of any pride, any sin you're holding on to that could be holding you back from Him, and let yourself be refined, hard as it may be. Because the Lord is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.